Well, we continue in the Fruit of the Spirit passage in Galatians chapter 5, looking tonight at the subject matter, faithful to the end. I've written a slew of verses over here that I'll be referring to tonight as well, and this isn't all of them. And so, all the hinges on your Bibles this evening, and get ready to turn those pages. But I simply want us to look tonight at what the Scripture says about the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of man, how it's demanded and demonstrated as well uh, in the Scripture. Keep in mind what I've said about dealing with this passage. Normally, we'll go expositorily through a passage of Scripture, uh, but we're handling the fruit of the Spirit uh, differently, taking each one of them individually, and looking at what other passages in the Scripture have to say about uh, faithfulness. And let's pick up reading again in uh, verse 22, where Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, during the presidency of Ronald Reagan, you may recall that terrible Sunday morning when the U.S. Marine barracks in Beirut, Lebanon, uh, were bombed. And hundreds of Americans were either killed or wounded. Now, a few days after that terrible accident, the Marine Corps command, uh, commander, uh, Paul Kelly, he visited some of the wounded survivors that were in a hospital in Germany, Frankfurt, Germany. And among the wounded was a man by the name of Corporal Jeffrey Lee Nashton. And uh, Jeffrey was very seriously wounded. Uh, he had so many tubes running in and out of his body that witnesses said he looked more like a machine instead of a man. And yet, fortunately, he did survive. Well, as Commander uh, Kelly neared the wounded Nashton, he noticed Nashton struggle uh, to motion for a piece of paper and a pen. And he wrote a brief note, handed it back to Kelly, can anybody think what might have been Semper Fi? But he wrote Semper Fi. Semper Fi or Semper Fidelis is the Latin motto of the United States Marine Corps. And what does it mean? Forever faithful. Semper forever. And Fidelis faithful. Forever faithful. Folks, shouldn't that be the motto of the Christian's life? Now, as we continue to look at this text, we've been looking at it for a number of weeks now, we see that it's more than a motto. It is part of the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. And I want you to ask yourself, how faithful am I in my Christian walk? How faithful am I in my devotional life? How faithful am I in my Bible study and prayer life? How about in my church attendance and service and using my spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ? 
How faithful am I in sharing Christ with others? Now, if the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness and every Christian possesses the Spirit from the moment of conversion, then how faithful am I? That's a legitimate question. Am I allowing the Spirit of God to form and ripen this fruit in me? And one aspect of this fruit is faithfulness. Now, as we've done so many times before, I want us to begin tonight talking about God. Because as we study the fruit of the Spirit, we're really getting a more comprehensive look also at attributes of God, aren't we? What God is like is the fruit of the Spirit. And who's the Spirit? The third member of the triune Godhead. You know, we can talk about the incommunicable attributes of God, and we've done that a number of times before. Those attributes of God that belong to God and God alone. Things like His omniscience, He's all knowing, His omnipresence, He's everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Those incommunicable attributes that belong to God and God alone. But as we've also pointed out, there are communicable attributes. Things that He shares with us. Uh, we are also to be holy because God is holy. We're to love because God is love. Uh, we are to be righteous. We're to be merciful and long-suffering. We see many of these things in the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. And so when we study the fruit of the Spirit passage, we're not simply studying about how we are to be. Again, we're getting a glimpse into the very character of God. And there's to be a family likeness. Like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. Family likeness. Now, it's important to see, though, that God displays this ninefold fruit of the Spirit in absolute perfection. There's no shortcoming or lack in Him. But again, as God's children, there's to be the family likeness. Now, before our conversion, we know that we bore the fruit of our father, the devil, and we live like those in the world. And, and Paul has given that ugly list beginning there in verse 17 where he says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, once we may have lived according to some of those vices. But now we're to walk in the Spirit and abide in Christ, and by so doing, we're to bear the fruit of the Spirit. 
So again, we'll begin with the faithfulness of God. And I want you to see God's faithfulness declared in the Scripture. Uh, write down Revelation 19.11 where it tells us that Jesus is called faithful and true. That verse says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Now John in this passage is describing the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming again. He not only came once his first advent, he's coming in a second advent. And for the Christian, that is our blessed hope. Now in this passage, John describes Jesus as being what? Faithful and true. Jesus has been faithful over all of the house of God as the writer of Hebrews talks about. The writer of Hebrews describes how Jesus is better than all that came before, all that is. He's better. And one of the things that he is faithful over in the description that the writer of Hebrews gives, he is faithful over the house of God. Everything that the counsel of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit determined to do in the redemption of mankind, Jesus has faithfully carried it out. Each member of the Godhead has faithfully done his part. Christ has executed the Father's plan, and he was faithful. Aren't you grateful for his faithfulness? You're in my very redemption relies upon his faithfulness. He's faithful and true. And John, you know, also talks about he's the faithful witness in Revelation 1.5. Uh, it says, and from Jesus Christ, he's talking about the book, the whole book uh, is going to be a revelation of Jesus Christ from him and about him. And he goes on to say he's the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus was faithful in his witness to the Father. What does John tell us in John 1.18 about Christ? No man has seen God at any time, John writes. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. The word explained there literally means exegeted him. Jesus has come in his incarnation to save us, but to show us what the Father is like. He's exegeted the Father to us. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Greeks of Jesus' day looked at their gods as being uh, vengeful and petty and jealous. But Jesus came to show us what God is really like. He came to bear witness. He's the faithful witness. And you know, the scripture says uh, in Psalm 36, 5, that God's faithfulness is without measure. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Thy faithfulness reaches to the skies. You can't get away from the faithfulness of God 
even if you wanted to. You know, you might wish for God to, at times to be less faithful to his holiness. I hope you don't. But somebody might because they think because God's so holy, his demand for me to be holy is not going to be weakened or, dement, but, or diminished. But God is true to himself and he's true to his character. He is faithful. And we should be glad that he is. <clears throat> Folks, that's not bad news. That's good news. The God you turn to today, is he'll be the same God tomorrow. He does not change. As James says in James 1.17, there's no shifting shadow in him. He's constant. He's perfect. He's dependable. We see God's faithfulness demonstrated. Demonstrated in calling us. Look at what, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now what's so significant in that text, Paul is talking about the fact that the God who has called us to salvation is faithful to keep us to the very end. You know, we live in a day of cell phones, obviously. Sometimes I wish we didn't, but we do. And with a cell phone call, what can happen to it? You can drop the call. God never drops us. He's faithful to the end. He preserves us to the end. He calls us, and He preserves us to the end. He's faithful in forgiving us. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we see that He's faithful in guiding us through temptation. I'm glad to see some of you writing. Am I, am I going too fast? Okay, slow me down if you need me to. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. He's faithful in Protecting us from the evil one. 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. That verse says, But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. He's faithful in showing mercy. Lamentations 3.22-23. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He's faithful in finishing what he started in us. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Folks, to talk about the faithfulness of God certainly is no small thing. 
you and I enjoy eternal life. One reason, because of the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. We could say many things about God that have to do with our eternal life. But certainly His faithfulness comes into it. You and I have a heavenly hope because God is faithful. You know, there's something they were to do in the Old Testament. I want you to remember with me for a moment. Certain times, like the crossing of the Jordan River, other times, weren't, weren't many times, but they were to take up stones. You remember when they crossed the Jordan, they'd take up the stone, one stone for each tribe, and they were to build a monument out of it. Why were they supposed to do that? For later generations. To remind them of what? Of God's faithfulness. What? God had done. They were where they were because of what God had done. Not their own power, not their own numbers, not their own strength. Remember what he told them? I've not chosen you because you're the mightiest or the most numerous because you're not. You're one of the weaker nations, but I've chosen you. They had what they had because God had chosen them and led them and brought them into the promised land. And God had been faithful. And they were to set up those memorials so they could teach future generations what God had done and about the faithfulness of God. Well, let's think secondly about the faithfulness of man. Because on our own, we're not faithful, are we? King Solomon once asked a very important question, and it's found in Proverbs 26. He says, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness. All men love to try to proclaim their own goodness, don't they? But he says, But who can find a faithful man? Faithfulness is demanded. Look at, uh, did I write it down? Yes, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2. Paul says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. The word servant literally referred to an under rower. What was that? I want you to think of some of the great ships in Paul's day. Down in the galley, there, on each side of the ship, there'd be an upper level, lower level, where servants would be rowing. And the very lower ones, the, the bottom row, they were the under rowers. Uh, they were the most despised of all slaves, the under rowers. They were the lowest. Folks were under under rowers. And not only under rowers, that, that's a tongue tongue really. <clears throat> Paul points out as such, we are stewards. Everything we have is on loan from God. 
The scripture asks in a certain place, what do you have that you did not receive? Now, what's the answer to that? It's obvious. Nothing. Think about it. What good is there in your life? Whatever's in your life, it's not because of you. God gave it to you. You say, I worked for it. Well, who gave you the intelligence and the strength and the health to be able to work for it? God did. And again, one thing is required of a steward. Faithfulness. The word required was a banking term. It, it, it referred to calling in a loan. One of these days, the loan of your life itself is going to be called in, and you and I are going to stand before the bema seat of Christ. I heard about the story of a young devoted missionary in Central America. He had encountered great difficulties and persecution in his attempts to, to reach the natives of the land. And he, he wrote a letter to his parents back home and he said, The work is hard and I go about on fishing boats all day long. At night I sleep on piles of hides in the decks. The people here don't seem much interested in the gospel message that I bring. And sometimes the enemy attacks me with discouragement and tries to convince me that it has all been a failure. But I take courage and I press on for I remember that God doesn't hold me responsible for success, but only for faithfulness. Not everybody in the church can sing. We probably don't want to hear some sing. I, I mean, they make a joyful noise. Not everybody can teach. Not everybody can lead. Not everybody can administrate. But everybody can be faithful with the gift that they've been given to do. You know, I think of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the greatest preacher in, in, in Baptist circles, probably in modern times. And God was really blessing his ministry there in London. And people by scores were coming to hear him preach. The chapel where Spurgeon preached was packed with people. People were in the halls, in the side rooms. They, they were anywhere they could find a spot to stand. More than 3,000 packed into that chapel that had a capacity of only 1,500. Well, for a while, they rented Exeter Hall for Sunday nights. It was not long before it was too small. And then they moved to the Surrey Music Hall, London's most beautiful building. It would hold 10 to 12,000 people. And on the afternoon of October 19, 1856, the opening night in the hall was held. The place was packed with an additional 10,000 people standing outside in the gardens. Spurgeon said, I'm sure that if I hadn't been willing to preach to 10 people when that's all there were, 10 people years ago as a young boy, then I should never have had the privilege to preach now to these tens of thousands. Faithfulness. Sunday school teachers, whether one person is in your class or whether you've got 40 in your class. Do you prepare for that one as you look for the 40? And are you found faithful? I hope so. 
Well, we see faithfulness demonstrated. Faithfulness is to be demonstrated in our, in our Christian life. I want you to think about that for a moment. Do you apply the same standards of faithfulness to your Christian life and your Christian activities that you expect from other areas? Let me, let me throw out some examples. What if, what if your car starts three out of five times? Are you going to say the mechanics of it are reliable and faithful? Back in the days when people did get newspapers delivered, what if, what if you're supposed to get it every day, but every Sunday and Tuesday it didn't come? You paid for it, just wasn't coming. Would you call your paper boy faithful? What if your employees, those who are managers, what if your employees on a five-day work week consistently only came? I'm not talking about having sick time or personal leave time or anything like that. What if in normal work weeks they work four out of five days? What if the water in your home or the electricity in your home out of a given month only worked 20 days? How about your mortgage company? If you miss a number of payments through the year, they can consider you faithful? Isn't it amazing how we expect in just everyday life and the things we enjoy? What do we expect of others and other things? Faithfulness. Are we willing to to live by a standard of faithfulness, though, in what we do in our Christian walk. You know, sometimes we think just half-hearted worship, half-hearted service, we're faithful. We're to demonstrate faithfulness at our work. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 9.10 said, Whatever your hand finds to do, Verily do it with all your might. Paul, that's probably one of the verses Paul had in mind in Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. 1 Thessalonians 4.10-12 He writes that you also aspire to lead a quiet life to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Talk about living a diligent and a faithful and committed life. We're to demonstrate faithfulness in our obedience. John 14, 21, Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Listen to that verse again. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Your and my obedience to the commands of God reveals whether or not we really love him or not. And so we're to faithfully obey him in all things. One of the classic passages on this in the Old Testament would surely have to be 
1 Samuel 15. If you recall what was going on there, God had, God had told Saul to go and destroy all of the Amalekites. You remember that passage? And what did they end up doing? That's right. <laughs> they saved the king and the best of the livestock, right? And then Samuel comes walking up and Saul is, oh, I've been faithful. I was faithful in what God gave me to do. And Samuel says, then what is this bleeding of the sheep I hear in my ears? And then Saul tries to rationalize it away. Oh, Samuel. You know, I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but the people, I, we figured that if we ended up saving the livestock, we could sacrifice that to God. Samuel said, is that what God asked you to do? And then that classic statement. You remember what the classic verse is? To obey is better and sacrifice. God demands faithfulness in obedience. Faithfulness. We need to be faithful with our time. Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. I told you I was giving you a lot of verses tonight. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. How are we at using our time? Are we faithful in it? Good stewards of that. Are we redeeming the time? 1 Peter 4.10 says we're to be faithful in our spiritual gifts. He says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you're a child of God, you've got at least one spiritual gift. I trust that you know it and that you're using it to the glory of God to build up the body of Christ. If you don't know what yours is, let us help you. And then get busy using it. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. And Peter says we're... We're to use it faithfully as an expression of the manifold grace of God. We're to be faithful in our worship. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The corporate life of the body, being involved, worshiping, praying for one another, serving. We're to be faithful in our finances. Jesus said in Luke 16, 11, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you, who will commit to your trust? The true riches. Now folks, that's an interesting verse, isn't it? Because it, it comes at the end of a parable Jesus told about a steward who was not faithful. He got caught 
in his unfaithfulness with his master's riches, and he had to quickly come up with a plan to make restitution. Now, the, the master commended the unjust steward for his plan to make restitution. But Jesus' point is that if you're unfaithful with the wealth of this world, then how can God trust you with true kingdom wealth? In Luke 16.10, Jesus said, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Faithful even in small things. Heard about a man who was talking to a big, strong giant of a man. And this, this huge guy, he was in wonderful shape. And this other man said, you know, if I were as big and tall and strong as you are, I would go out into the woods, I'd find the biggest bear that I could, and I'd wrestle him to the ground. <laughs> Big guy looked down at the small guy and said, you know what? There's plenty of little bears in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with most people is that they can oftentimes think they're, they're too good for the small things, Right? Some people say, oh, if I had a million dollars, just, I can just imagine the things I could do for God. Well, what are you doing for God with the hundred dollars in your pocket? You probably do with a million dollars what you're doing with a hundred or with a thousand. And you know, maybe God hadn't entrusted some people with more because he knows they're not even being faithful with what they've been given. You may not think it's important what you do with small things, but it is. One last reference. The parable of the talents, Matthew 25. A guy had was given five talents, one, two. And talents there is not, you know, riding a unicycle and juggling at the same time. Talent was a sum of money, a unit of money. Uh, one given five, one given two, one given one. And the master went on his journey. He came back and it was the evaluation day. The guy with five called in. He'd been faithful with five, right? And he was commended. The guy with two, he didn't have five, but his master knew what he could handle. You see, he doesn't expect the same level of all of us. He knows you. He knows what you can handle. He knows how he's made you and designed you. So he didn't put on the two-talent guy what he put on the five-talent guy. But still, faithfulness was expected. The one with two was faithful. He was commended. The guy with one. You know, did he despise small things? We know in the parable he, he accused the master of being hard. But what other motives might we be intended to see? But what did Jesus say to him? You wicked and lazy servant. Take what was given to him and give it to the one with five and take that servant and cast him, cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
All through the Word of God, we're being told something. Whether it's our finances, whether it's our spiritual gift, whether it's our commitment to God's work in His church, we're told that God is looking for faithfulness. Faithfulness. And folks, your and my faithfulness is never supposed to be based on the faithfulness of others. Your and my faithfulness is based on the goodness and the grace and the faithfulness of God. You see, we judge ourselves by others. By what others among fallen humanity are doing. We're not the standard for one another. And you know what? Your faithfulness can become an anchor and an inspiration for others. You might inspire somebody else. We need to live in such a way that one day when we stand before the Master, we'll hear those words, well done, good, and faithful servant. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. God is faithful to the We're to be faithful as a reflection of Him. Because it's part of the attributes of God, the character of God, who dwells in us. Why not spend some time tonight, even later tonight, thinking about God's faithfulness to you? Where in the world would you be without the faithfulness of God? Where, where, where would you be without the faithfulness of God? Dwell on how God has expressed or shown His faithfulness to you in so many ways. And then turn and look at your own life, your own faithfulness. Perhaps some of you need to spend some time in repentance. We don't hear much about repentance anymore, do we? But we need to. Where do you struggle with faithfulness? Perhaps this evening later, before you go to bed, there needs to be a, a fresh surrender, a fresh yielding to God in this area of faithfulness. You want to add anybody add anything that I've not covered? Some aspect of it I've not covered that came to your mind earlier. One example I think of is Moses just bringing the people out of Egypt and the people were so unfaithful Moses uh, was saying to God uh, you are faithful if you destroy them the nations will think you're not capable of bringing them mm. or delivering them yeah. to God's faithful Moses was bold like, at times very bold that tells me you're cognizant of our motivation our faithfulness too yes a lot of things <clears throat> Religious or habitual, you know, 
for a feather in our cap. Yeah, um, just going through the motions, yeah. as opposed to, you know, when you're, I, I think about singing in the, uh, the hymns in the morning over in Sunday worship. Mm -hmm. I mean, the purpose of it is to prepare our heart for worship, and we need to be focusing on God mm -hmm. when we're singing those praises, because even though there's an audience of people out here, you know, Real audience is him. Amen. And we should be giving it our best in this thing. Humble it. You know, uh, because you're singing to, singing to the, the Father. Oh, yeah. God. You know, and uh, I think it, at least I, I've put an emphasis on that, say, over the past year, for example, where I haven't been in my life probably at the last month. But I think by doing that, it has really done what it's supposed to be. It prepared my heart for worship. Mm -hmm. And I find that I get more out of the sermons. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, things like that as well. As, as well as the music itself. Yeah. You pay attention to the words. You know. On that list you have the first the first one, mm -hmm. do you remember what it, what it said? Faithful and true, wasn't it? Um, He's the faithful and true witness. Yeah, I like it. These two. Yeah, yeah. and uh, that's what we put all our hope on because it is true. There's so many people that are faithful, but they're not faithful to the truth, which mm -hmm. is Jesus. They're faithful to a, to a lie, to a, you know, it, um, our faith is built upon what he did in the resurrection. And he is truth. And you mentioned that many times through this. Mm -hmm. uh, the truth is truth. And that's what we're looking for. That's what we based our faith on. Because so many people base it on a lie. Based sure. on their faith on a lie, and they die for a lie. Would we die for the truth? Mm -hmm. You know, just mm -hmm. Point. Somewhere back in Luke, after Jesus told about the lady and the judge and how she was persistent, mm -hmm. he went on to say, Will the Son of Man find faithfulness mm -hmm. when he returns? Yeah. And, you know, in the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, and um, in, in parable interpretation, that's one of the parables has what's called an end stress rule. What we'd say the punchline comes at the very end. And he's talking about persistent prayer. How we pray persistently. And give the example of this widow. And like you say, he said, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? In other words, it takes faith, faithfulness, to pray persistently. You don't have faith or faithfulness, you're not going to persistently pray. And faithfulness is a long-term thing. It's not like I'm faithful today. It's right. a consistent thing. To the end. To the end. <laughs> exactly. Yep. yep. See, I knew you'd be saying that tonight. Oh, <laughs> <I did. laughs> 